reading is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You give me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven." For she loved much. But he, was, he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. By now you know the drill. Uh, In this series called Anthems of the Age, we take a popular song and we ask, how does it capture the drumbeat of our culture? And then we compare it to the drumbeat of the good news about Jesus Christ to see what we can learn. Uh, That's the series. We're in week three. This is the last of six. If most of us have heard that song, Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, there's actually a reason for that. The song must resonate with us somehow. It must touch a nerve. What nerve? What is it about us that this song speaks into? Well, obviously, to answer that, we need to get some sort of sense on what the song is actually about. Uh, You have the lyrics there. I saw some of you were following along. That's very helpful. I think when we examine those lyrics, and you, you wouldn't have to spend very long doing this, it's fairly obvious. This is a song about disillusionment. It's a song about disappointed hopes and dreams. You can see that just from the shape of the song. So just have a look at your lyric sheet with me there. It starts out, verse 1, life is tough. There's no doubt about that. Life is tough, but there's ambition. There's hope. You've got a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. See, wide open prospects. Maybe we can make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Hope. Ambition. Any place is better. Starting from zero, there's nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. The ambition is to get out of here. 
Not just this place, but this life. And there's hope. Because if you start from zero, you can only go up. So there's hope, there's ambition, but there's also a plan. That's verse 2. You got a fast car, I got a plan to get us out of here. The fast car represents all three. The ambition, the hope, the plan. What's the plan? I've been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far, just across the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs and finally see what it means to be living. So the plan is to earn a little bit of money and also to invest in this relationship. If the two of them can can earn more money and move to the city than this young lady and the man with the fast car, they would finally be living. Sound familiar? Pretty much the South African story, isn't it? Get rich and get hitched. It's our go-to strategy. And it might be your story in one way or another. There's the ambition, the hope, the plan, but then there's the problem. Verse 3. See, my old man's got a problem. He lives with a bottle, that's the way it is. He says his body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like his. My mama went off and left him. She wanted more from life than he could give. I said, somebody's got to take care of him. So I quit school. And that's what I did. Alcoholic father, absent mother, end of childhood. It's no wonder she wants to fly away in a fast car. She wants to escape. But escape to what? What is she after? What's the actual goal? What does she really want? What is her soul aching for? It's in the chorus. We heard it over and over again. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car, speed so fast, felt like I was drunk. City lights lay out before us, and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder. And I had a feeling that I belonged. I had a feeling that I could be someone, be someone, be someone. She wants to belong. She just wants to be someone. And for the briefest slice of time, she was. But then it was gone. Verse 4. You got a fast car. We go cruising, entertain ourselves. You still ain't got a job. And I work in the market as a checkout girl. The fast car's going nowhere. She still manages to scrape some hope together. I know things will get better. You'll find work. I'll get promoted. We'll move out of the shelter, buy a bigger house and live in the suburbs. The ticket to belonging is life in the city or in the suburbs. Anywhere but here. Then years, maybe decades pass, and we come the full circle. Verse 5. You got a fast car. I got a job that pays all our bills. All our bills. You stay out drinking late in the bar. See more of your friends than you do of your kids. I'd always hoped for better. 
thought maybe together you and me'd find it. I got no plans. I ain't going nowhere. Take your fast car and keep on driving. Full circle. Her boyfriend has become her father. Her hopes are dashed. She's got no plans. She's got no ambitions. In fact, she banishes them from her life. She wants that fast car to drive out of her life. She is utterly disillusioned. It's a sad story, isn't it? It's a story that moves from hope to disillusionment. Part of what makes it so sad is that it's such a common story. The plan to get a sense of belonging and being from money or relationships or both, I mean, that's our go-to plan. That's the standard plan. But in this case, it's ended in total disappointment, and that's such a common story. So often it ends in total disappointment, sometimes bitterness and cynicism to go with the disappointment. Most of you in this room are young, and so if this resonates with you at all, you are still somewhere in the first three verses. So things might be tough in one way or another, but you're still hopeful. You still believe you can arrive in a place of being and belonging, and maybe you think money and all relationships are going to get you there. The question is, how do you avoid ending up at the end of the song? with all hope driving off into the distance. How do you avoid that? Let's look at our second story. So you can flip your sheet. There are many differences between these two stories, but there are also some really significant similarities. Take, for example, the shape of the story. Both similar and different. Similar in that it's a movement between hope and disillusionment. Different in that the story moves in the opposite direction to the song. So instead of moving from hope to disillusionment, the story moves from disillusionment to hope. Let me try and show you what I mean. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that, she, that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So once again, here's a similarity. A central character in this story is also a woman. But this woman made it to the city. She got there. And she also made some money along the way. You wouldn't own an alabaster flask of perfume in that society if you were destitute. She is a city woman of some means. How she got the means is questionable. A woman of the city who was a sinner very likely means that she was a prostitute. Here is a woman known in her city as a prostitute. Now I think it's fair to imagine she wasn't always a prostitute. Child prostitution was very rare, very rare in that culture in that time. It's always a little bit dangerous to speculate, but there probably, almost certainly was a time, and maybe it was only a short time as a little girl, when she had ambitions and hopes and plans. Now she's a prostitute. The journey between those two, her childhood hopes 
and where she actually landed, what she actually became, could only lead to one thing. Massive disillusionment. The shattering of any illusion of her own goodness and the goodness of the world around her. The hollowness of deep disappointment. I mean, can you imagine what prostitution does to your hopes, your childhood hopes and ambitions in life? Childish dreaming is replaced with the deepest cynicism. So we can imagine that at some point in her adult life, this woman became deeply, deeply disillusioned. Hold on to that for a moment. Let's look at her behavior in the story because it is so striking. It's so striking. It is not the behavior of a disillusioned woman. Quite the opposite. The first thing we don't want to miss is that she goes to a party hosted by a Pharisee. Now, these parties would have been public affairs. It's an open party. Anyone could go, which is precisely why a woman of ill repute would not go. Because it would simply be an occasion of public shaming. I try to think of examples that might make sense to us. Uh, none of them capture it. I'm going to give them to you anyway. Let's have a go. It, it, it might be a bit like a woman who can't conceive going to the baby shower of her sister who's having her fourth child. It might be a bit like an older man going to a book club where he's the only illiterate person in the room. It might be like you going to your 10-year high school reunion, but you're unemployed. Do you see the, something of the sense of alienation, of disengagement, something of the shame? The Pharisees, remember the Pharisees were all about morality. This is a prostitute. It's a public party. She would not be welcome, nor would she normally even remotely want to be there. And yet she goes. And she doesn't stay on the fringes where uninvited guests were supposed to stay. So literally there was the inner circle and then there was everybody else on the outside. She doesn't stay there. She enters into the close personal space of an imported invited guest. So let's just review. She goes to a party she should not attend. And then instead of staying under the radar, she breaks every social rule available. And she doesn't stop there. She begins to weep Publicly, not the best strategy if you're trying not to draw attention to yourself. And then she goes further. She does the unthinkable for any Jewish woman in that culture. Absolutely unthinkable. She unties her hair in public. Now that would have been considered provocative, suggestive, totally inappropriate and immodest. And remember who she is. This is a known prostitute untying her hair. It would have been just the trigger all the finger waggers and the gossips and the tongue clickers were waiting for. Finally, to cap it all off, she throws herself at this man in an embarrassing display of public affection. Her host leads the charge in drawing conclusions. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, 
He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she's a sinner. He doesn't just draw conclusions about the woman. He he draws conclusions about the rabbi who does nothing to stop her or shame her or publicly rebuke her. Clearly he's not a man of God. Because if he he was, he would know who this woman is. And he would have nothing to do with her. Enter Jesus, who blows all of this prejudice apart. First, he proves that he is a prophet. By looking straight into the soul of his host. And then he tells a story to expose his host's heart, Simon's heart. It's a story of two debts forgiven. One debt is approximately two years wages worth. Two years wages worth. And the other debt is about two months wages. And then he asks a simple question. He says, Simon, who will love the forgiving money lender more? Simon gives the only answer he can give. The one who has been forgiven the bigger debt. Jesus follows up with a very, very awkward question. Do you see this woman? Now in the context of what's just happened, that is a loaded question. Not do you see her, can you make her out in your field of vision? Not that. Do you see her as she actually is? Simon, you see nothing but an unworthy, dirty sinner who you would rather not see. I see so much more. I see her courage, her humility, her love. The love, Simon, you didn't show me. And in all of it, it says that she understands that she has been forgiven. This woman must have known Jesus, known of him at least, heard him preach, perhaps even spoken to him at some point. Whatever she knew, she knew enough to know that he was a friend, a friend to sinners. And not in a way that affirms sinners in their sin. But in a way that deals with their debts so that they are free, unburdened, free to live a new life. As Jesus said to Simon, her sins, which are many, there's no affirmation of the sin here. There's no sweeping it under the rug. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. He says to Simon, and we listening in, her extraordinary behavior, her courage, her humility, her love, is all evidence that she has grasped what God has done for her. How he has forgiven her debt, fully, finally, completely. And then Jesus turns to the woman, and he confirms it all publicly. Your sins are forgiven. Of course, that causes another scandal at the party. I mean, who is this man? Who does he think he is? This man who thinks he can forgive sins. Surely God alone has the authority to forgive sins. It's outrageous. Jesus cares nothing for public opinion. He addresses his final words to the woman herself. Your faith has saved you. 
Go in peace. Did you notice it's not her love that saved her? Her expensive sacrifice that saved her? It's her faith that saved her. Faith in what? Well, from the story, it's crystal clear. In the face of public ridicule and hostility, she casts herself at the feet of Jesus. Her faith is in him. She trusts him. She understands that he alone, he alone can save her from her sin. And then he concludes with this blessing. Go in peace. Now that's more than a greeting. Right? So much more than a greeting. So much more than that. It meant go in harmony. Go in harmony with your God. With your fellow man. Go in abundance. Go, go and flourish. Go and prosper. Go with the full assurance that you are someone because you belong to someone. You are someone because you belong to me. You belong to me and I would die for you. That's who you are. That's how much you are worth. You see, this woman threw herself at Jesus, not out of sexual desire or with commercial prospects, as the rumor mill would have it. She threw herself at him out of a deep desire to belong, to be someone. And that's exactly what he did for her. She worshipped him. She wept at his feet out of deepest gratitude. She loved him with a full heart because he loved her first. At the end of Tracy Chapman's song, the fast car drives away, taking all hope with it, all ambitions, all plans. It also leaves with any chance of belonging or ever being someone. Money and relationships have failed. The illusion is broken. Luke records a story that goes in the other direction. A deeply damaged, broken, disillusioned woman finds hope and healing in Jesus. Her trust in him, her loyalty to him, has saved her from her life of sin. She was no one. She was invisible. Do you see this woman? The answer is no. He didn't see her. No one saw her. But with him, with Jesus, she belongs. She has peace. She can go in peace. Our two stories are approaching the same truth from different directions. Because the fact of the matter is, we all want to belong. We all want to be someone. And we will never find that where we normally look. Our standard approach, money, relationships. We're never going to find it there. And you won't find it in social standing or morality either. Simon is proof of that. If love is evidence of our forgiveness and Simon showed no love, the implication is that he had refused the offer of forgiveness. He saw no need for it. Why would I need that? He found his being and his belonging in his moral performance, in his standing in the community. 
Look how much I serve. Look how much I give to this community. The truth at the center of these two stories is that the only place to truly belong, to finally be someone, is in the arms of God. He made you. He loves you. He's calling you home. And he's made a way. The debt can be cancelled because Jesus paid for it in full with his blood. That offer is for you. If you will take him at his word, if, if you will trust his sacrifice for you, not your sacrifice for him, not the alabaster flask, the blood of Christ, his sacrifice for you on your behalf, your sins, which are many, will be forgiven. He's your way home. The way home is not in a fast car of false promises. The way home is with Jesus. Put your trust in him. And you can go in peace. Now, for someone here this evening, it might be your very first step of trust. And the first step of trust is to pray, just to talk to him, to ask him. So I'm inviting you to pray with me. Let me just um, read out what I'm going to pray. And then if these are words that echo what's going on in your heart, you can pray them with me. All right, so here's the prayer that I'm proposing. Dear King Jesus, I see now that my sins, which are many, need to be forgiven. Thank you for paying my debt. Please allow me to follow you and to worship you. I want to belong to you. I want to go on in life in your peace. Please take me as one of your own. Amen.